So imagine a world, and I'll start with the middle schoolers. Imagine a world where every time you went to school, you got nothing but A's. Every time you took English, you got an A. Every time you took math, you got an A. Every time you went to science class, you got an A. Imagine a world where you made all A's. Would that be a pretty good world? Those of you that are in business, imagine a world where every deal was just so sweet and so successful. You signed every contract, every client, every customer, every vendor, every person was just happy and nice, and what can I do for you? Oh, no, what can I do for you? Oh, no, what can I do for you? Imagine a world like that. How would that be? The preacher's been drinking, I think somebody said on the front row. Uh, Imagine a world where every relationship was just comfortable and there were no harsh words and no ugly or confusing emails. Imagine a world where you felt so good with God You always felt connected with your heavenly father. There was never distance. There was always this uh, emotion of just connection with your heavenly father. Imagine a world where parents, your students uh, come home and they say, mom and dad, you're great. Mom and dad, you are bestowers of wisdom. Mom and dad, we've come to sit at your feet Please give us counsel, give us guidance, give us wisdom. Imagine a world like that. You can dream, okay. Imagine a world where every marriage is just, the man feels respected 24-7. The woman feels love 24-7. The man is bestowing his strength all the time, and the woman is bestowing her beauty all the time. Imagine a world where everybody in the home, the the husband, the wife, the temperature, they're they're in agreement on the same thermometer, the same temperature, the same thermostat. Imagine a world when it comes to romance and intimacy where everybody's on the same page all of the time. Imagine that kind of a world. That existed primarily for Adam and Eve. Now, they didn't have kids yet, but that kind of a world really did exist. And it's so cool to see Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in Genesis chapter 1, we scroll down to about verse 26 and verse 27, and we see that God made us in his image, and we were made in his likeness. In verse 27, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So imagine a world where every man, every woman was completely in the image of God. Would that be a pretty cool world to live in? Especially the A's in school, right? That would be a great world to to live in. Well, then we come to chapter 3. We come to Genesis chapter 3, and there is the train wreck of all train wrecks. And we see that Satan then takes the form of a serpent. Now, the serpent isn't Satan, but Satan takes the form of a snake. Now, I don't like snakes. How many of you in the room don't like snakes? How many of you in the room think the only kind of a snake is a good snake is a dead snake? That's me. I know there are good snakes. I know I've had people try to explain to me the colors and the schemes. and I, I believe you. I just don't agree with you. It's a dead snake is a good snake. So Satan takes the form of a serpent. 
And so let's look at some of these verses and start with me in Genesis chapter 3. This is the train wreck of all train wrecks. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And this, this morning, we're going to talk about five landmines. We are navigating through the landmines, and in this particular 20 verses this morning, we'll have five. Now, the serpent, now we learn from Ezekiel and we learn from Isaiah that this uh, fallen angel is, is Lucifer. Lucifer was an archangel. And so he takes the form of a serpent. So this, all, not all snakes, you know, are Satan, but Satan in this case took the form of a snake. Was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, now here's her first problem. She begins dialoguing with the enemy. This is a great no-no. This doesn't work. It never works. The woman said, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, verse 3. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. Now, I don't remember that part in chapter 1 and chapter 2, do you? It doesn't say in chapter 1 and chapter 2 that you must not touch it. So sometimes when you get involved, like with these conversations, you say things you shouldn't say. or You say things you, sh- you shouldn't do. Uh, look at verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Verse 5. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Landmine number one is discontentment. Now, Eve had everything. Adam had everything. They had perfect temperature, perfect food, perfect cooperation, perfect uh, connection with God and with each other. And yet they looked around and Eve and Adam are beginning to question, well, maybe God's holding out on us. Have you ever noticed how many people are just discontent? You ever notice that like everybody in Florida like kind of wants to live somewhere else and everybody like up in Michigan and Indiana and Ohio and you know they're dreaming about where they're dreaming about Florida have you ever kind of noticed how people are just nobody ever seems to be really happy where they are have you noticed how discontent we can be with our clothes or with our cars or with our spouse or with our kids or or with our job I think discontentment is one of the greatest landmines that you and I have to learn to work through. Well, verse 6. Here's verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. Now, just hold on to this verse for a second. Um, Sin always looks attractive. I mean, does anybody go after ugly sin? I mean, if it was ugly or uncomfortable or something we didn't like, we, we, we wouldn't pursue it, right? But the reason we go after sin is it, it looks good. And so sin is always going to look good. I think it's interesting that the first sin involved food. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about how many things can go wrong with food? And with what you eat and what you do, there can be too much food. There can be not enough food, malnutrition. There can be eating disorders. Can you imagine how, how the enemy over the years has worked with food in the area of parents and small children? 
I mean, you've got three meals a day. You've got this 21 times a week. There's potentially 21 battles every week with food with a four-year-old. And you're probably going to lose, okay? Because you can't have the consistency of 21 times in a row. I mean, just, just think about the abuses of food. Well, anyway, I think it's interesting that the first sin involved food. And why did the first sin, why did the serpent through Satan target Eve? Well, some places in the Bible, it talks about how she was deceived. And so some people think that maybe she was an easier target. John Eldridge from the Wild at Heart books has a whole different theory. John Eldridge believes that Satan... Lucifer, who's described as this beautiful archangel, could not handle somebody rivaling him. He was okay with Adam, but when Eve came on the scene, there was now someone more beautiful than Lucifer. And Lucifer, his ego was so big, he couldn't handle somebody who rivaled his attraction and his beauty. And Eve was the crown of God's creation. Why, Why Eve? And then notice what Adam's doing. She also gave some to her husband who was where? Who was with her. I don't know what you've ever thought about this story before, but I I remember as a kid, I always thought Adam was out maybe chopping down the bushes or something. But in this story, Adam is like standing right there beside her. Why did not Adam step in? Why didn't Adam say, hold on, babe, time out. We're not going there. God already told us we could have everything, but we couldn't have the tree that's in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day we ate of that, we're cooked. Why didn't Adam stand up? And so in this one little verse, we see the attraction of sin. We see food is involved. We see Eve, perhaps women, are maybe more targeted. And we see a very, very passive Adam in this particular story. Drop down to verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Verse 8. Then the man, the wife, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. There are three more landmines in, in this particular verse. The first landmine is the landmine of shame. Now, psychologists who aren't Christians will tell you that everybody has a shame base. These are people who aren't even Christians who may have never read Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. They'll tell you that every single one of us has a shame base. Now, the great news is Jesus Christ can help you and I and can help us to grow from that, but it is really true. You stop and you begin to analyze your own life and you realize that, you know, maybe you were ashamed of, of an alcoholic parent. Or maybe you were ashamed because you didn't have a good education and some people, you know, called you stupid. Or, or you were ashamed because you didn't have, you know, the same shoes or the same pair of jeans that everybody else in the class had. Everybody suffers from the, a landmine of shame. And some of you still haven't really come to grips with that. And that's the reason why sometimes you're still trying to fill that hole with toys or education or or more relationships or marriages or whatever. You haven't come to grips with your shame base. Everybody in the room has a shame base. Not everybody in the room has come to grips with it. 
There's a second uh, landmine in this particular story, and that's a fear. And, and, and this is a world that is overwhelmed with fear. Just, just the prescription medicine to try to help people with anxiety. I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying get off of it. Don't hear, I'm not a physician. That's not my point. My point is that this is a culture, even in the United States of America, where we wake up with fear, we go to bed with fear, we watch the fiscal cliff, we watch the debt ceiling, we watch Algeria, we watch Mali, we watch CNN, we just get overwhelmed with fear, right? And it's a landmine that every one of us has to learn to work through. A third landmine in this verse is the word hiding. And again, Some of us have gotten really good at hiding. And the longer you hide, the longer it's going to take for you to get well. Everybody who works with people realizes that as long as you hide your sin and you hide your addictions and you hide your insecurities and you hide all this stuff in your life, you can't get better. And so this is one of the reasons why as a church we we encourage you to get in groups. And even in groups... You don't show up and throw up on everybody and, hi, I'm Kurt, and I'm, you know, jealous, insecure. I mean, you don't, you don't come to a group and just start showing up and throwing up on everybody. But you're in community. You're in com- Some of you might show up and throw up. I, I'm not recommending it. I'm, I'm not suggesting that. But you, you want to you grow in community. It's when you, you stop hiding and you stop realizing, you know, I am discontent. This is my shame base. I am a very fearful person. And we begin then to make progress. Chapter 3, verse 9 says this. But the Lord God called to the man and he said, where are you? Now, does anybody in the room really think that God had misplaced Adam? I mean, what kind of a, what kind of a bumbling God would this be who couldn't keep up with two people in the garden, right? So I, I don't think anybody really thinks that God he had a chip in him. I don't know, but he, he could find him. But I think it's the right question to ask. Where are you? Where, where are you as far as growing in your relationship with God? Where are you in navigating some of these landmines of discontentment and shame and fear and and hiding. Where are you? Verse 10, he said this, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I didn't have any clothes on. I was naked. And so I, I hid. Verse 11, he said, well, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? Again, does anybody think God missed this? I don't think, I don't think we think that, do we? Verse 11, verse 12, rather. The man said, well, the woman He was chicken, wasn't he? He he was chicken. I mean, let's let's be honest. The dude was chicken, all right? The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Come on, Adam, grow up. Grow up. This is truly landmine number five, blame. And some of us are in this cycle of blaming everybody. I blame my mom. I blame my dad. I blame my grandparents. I blame my my workers, my co-workers. I blame my boss. I, I blame God. I blame the elders. I blame Kurt. Uh, I was in Publix not too long ago, and I, I got accosted by somebody blaming me for his marriage that just went, went south. 30 years. I've never had that before. Just 
completely blew me away that I was the cause of this guy's. And I didn't handle it well. I told him to man up, and, you know, that, that didn't go over too well, you know. And so anyway, I wasn't going to take it. But, but blame, we begin to blame. Look at verse 13, chapter 3, 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. What's she doing? Blame. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and between hers. This is the first messianic prophecy right here. First messianic prophecy of the Bible. The first picture of a Messiah is chapter 3, verse 15. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And this is talking about Satan. Satan's going to strike Jesus's people's heels. He's going to keep trying to spike us and, and strike us, but Jesus is going to win. He will crush his head. Verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Is that true, ladies? Huh? How, how many of the women in this room have given birth? Okay. What, was, it, was it painful? Yeah? All right. I'm really sorry. I, this goes back to this. Um, your desire will be for your husband. And he will rule over you. I'm going to leave that alone. I'm going to talk about pain and childbirth, but I'm not going to talk about the second verse, okay? I'm chicken, just like Adam. Look at the next verse. Adam, yeah, she, she pushed it over the next verse even. Because you listened to your wife and you ate fruit from the tree, which I command you not, you, you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Work is tough. Labor is tough. Jobs are tough. It's just tough. Business is tough. Curses is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat fruit. You eat food from it all the days of your life. Verse 18. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Verse 19. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now, what's the fallout from the fall? I mean, this, this really explains a lot, doesn't it? Yep. This explains our world today. But, but just the fallout with Adam and with Eve, you, you stop and think about it. They lost their relationship with God. They lost their innocence. They lost this intimate relationship with Adam and, and Eve together. I mean, now Eve may feel abandonment for the first time. Now Eve is going to feel aging. Now Eve is going to look in the water at the reflection and say, am I getting older? Am I still pretty? Adam's going to say, my goodness, my strength is now fading. I'm not the man I used to be. I have fear of failure. There's all kinds of things that take place from the fall. No longer would they enjoy the, the privilege of ruling over creation. No longer would creation just, just kind of cooperate with them. And, and when you see this and you think, oh, my goodness, they lost access to the garden. They lost access to the tree of life. And then you begin to think about for you and for me, this explains a whole lot of things about our world. This really explains all these different genetic malfunctions that we have. This explains, unfortunately, stillborn children. The fall explains a shooting up in the Northeast for school children. The fall explains, we fell. Do you know how far we fell? We didn't just fall out of the garden. 
That's the moment that we begin to age. We begin to die at that very moment. And the fall, unfortunately, it explains cancer. It explains car accidents. It explains death and diseases. When we, this was never God's plan. This was never God's will. This was never God's dream. God's dream was for Adam and for Eve and for all these people, all these generations to be in this incredible environment for a long time. But God knew it wouldn't happen. He knew it wouldn't happen. And so God knew that he would have to take the initiative as well. And so the rest of the Bible is God taking the initiative on helping you and I to to be restored. The rest of the Bible is God restoring humanity and God restoring property that was stolen. In fact, we begin to see this in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. We begin to see, even though there was a great fall, let's look at these verses. Chapter 3, Adam named his wife Eve. She, became the mo- she would become the mother of all the living. Verse 21, and the Lord God made garments. In other words, God, God's still involved. Even though they've blown it, messed up, God is still dialed in, and he's still now trying to help them. And the rest of the Bible, the rest of the Bible is amazing. God sends prophets. He sends priests, he sends judges, and finally he sends his son, and his son then will help us with this. So let me keep going with God's plan, all right? God's plan then does this. I want you to see this. If you want to fill these in on blanks, you certainly can. God's plan, number one, it, it turns ruin to a redemption, Turn, turns ruin to redemption and a curse into a blessing. Now, this is what God wants to do for you. Even though we are under the umbrella of Adam and Eve's sin, this is what God wants to do for your life. God's plan for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, is to, he wants to turn ruin into redemption and a curse into blessing. God's plan, the next one, has consequences. It has consequences. But God's plan also has a cure. God has a cure for your life. We're going to talk about that in just a second. God's plan... It takes what sin ruined, and it makes your life better today, and I probably should say best tomorrow, but it makes your life better through Jesus Christ. Now, here's how we know this. Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 5, now don't go to sleep. I need you to pay attention right here. Are you still with me? Okay, you need to stand up, you need to smoke, you need to shake hands. Everybody's still with me. All right, I'm getting ready to make a little turn here, and I don't want you to miss this. This is really important because the rest of the New Testament supports everything I just said. So I'm going to tell you Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 explains this. Therefore, verse 12, just as sin <clears throat> entered the world through one man and death through sin, right, through the tree, they ate of the wrong tree, and in this way, death came to all people because all sin. In other words, everybody has these landmines. Everybody suffers uh, the, the, the curse of Adam and Eve's sin. All right? Look at the next verse, verse, uh, 13, verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. What? The gift that God gives. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, who's the one man? Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Are you still with me? Don't go to sleep here. Hang on. This is the good stuff. Verse 16. 
Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin. One sin, out of the garden, cherubim, flaming sword, keep you out of the garden. Judgment followed and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and it brought justification. And that means just as if I'd never sinned. Next verse, verse 6, 17. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through the one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? It was kind of Heather's communion meditation. Heather talked about how she was this week overwhelmed, you know, with sin and, and some of the gunk and junk in her life. But the greater part of her being overwhelmed was the incredible gift of Christ who's forgiven her and cleansed her. That's amazing. Look at verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act. And who did the righteous act? That would be Jesus. So one righteous act resulted in justification and the life for all people. Verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Verse 21. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The New Testament is just filled with this type of doctrine and theology. I want to show you two more verses. Can I do that? Okay, two more verses out of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, Let me start with verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Here's the question. Where are you? Where are you? Because your life will go one of two directions. And I've got a sentence I want to put on the board, and I want us to look at this next sentence here real quickly. You will continue to experience the fallout from the fall. You will continue in your life to experience discontentment, shame, fear, hiding, blame. It's their fault, their fault, their fault. You will continue to experience the fallout from the fall or you will embrace this gift of grace. It's one of two things. Everybody in the room is going to do one of two things. You will have one of two paths. You will embrace this amazing gift of grace. And when Christ comes into your life, he then begins to work on your discontentment. He begins to work on your shame base. He begins to work on your fear. He begins to work on your hiding. He begins to work on your blame. He begins to help you to overcome the past, press on toward the future. Christ comes inside of you and he transforms and he changes your life little by little, step by step. Christ begins to change your life. You will continue to experience discontentment, shame, fear, hiding, blame, and we can add a whole bunch of other landmines in there, right? 
you will continue to experience that. Or, or you will, I'm going to give my life to Christ. And I'm not just going to give my life to Christ. I'm going to, I'm going to surrender my life to Christ. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to grow. I'm not even sure how to grow. I'm going to ask an elder or a pastor or connect group leader, but, but I, I'm going to grow. And I'm going to let Christ then begin to transform me from the inside out. And this is what Harborside's trying to do, and I'm sold on this. I've never been able to transform anybody from the outside in. I, I can't really change anybody. But Christ comes inside of me and inside of you, and he begins to transform us. And I began to, to like his word. And I began to, to learn a little bit about prayer. And I began to study the scriptures. And I began to, to give and serve. And, and, and I'm, I'm nice to people. Even when I'm on US 19 and get cut off, I began to be nice to people. I mean, that's the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. If you can drive on 19 and be happy, that's a good sign. You, you're going to do one or two things. You're going to continue with the fallout of the fall in your life or Christ in you, the hope of glory, Christ in you, the hope of glory, Christ in you, the hope of glory. There is a a lady who works with hospice and she's worked with hospice all her life. And her name is um, Braun Ware. And Braun Ware has studied people at the last stages of their life. And what she's done with all these people now for over 20 years is Braun Ware has asked these people in the last stages of their life, do you have any regrets? Do you have any regrets? What are your regrets? And interestingly, there's two. There's two that always make the short list. And, and I want to give you the second one first. Because the second one, this is a lady that's worked with hospice over 20 years, the last stages of their life. The second greatest regret has been, number one, I'm going to put this on, this on the board. This is the second one. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Every male, 100% of the men have answered that. That's their greatest regret in the last six weeks of their life. I wish I'd have spent more time with my wife. I wish I would have spent more time with the kids. I wish I would have spent more time with the grandkids. That, that was the man's number two great, greatest regret. And, and more women were saying the same thing as women now have become very much involved in the workforce. But the number one regret, the number one regret out of everybody was this. I'm going to put this on, the, on there. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life others expected of me. Wow. I wish I had the courage to live a true life to myself. And what they're saying is these landmines, instead of me living my life the way I really thought I should live my life, I was so worried about what other people thought. I I live my life worrying about what other people would would say about me. That's the fallout from the fall. But what if? And how would your life be different if today and tomorrow you said, all right, I'm not going to worry about what he thinks. 
I'm not going to worry about what she thinks. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to. But Christ, you're in me. You're the hope of glory. And what do you want me to do? And what do you want me to be? How do you want me to live my life? How would your life be different if today and tomorrow it was Christ in you, the amazing hope of glory? And you see, that's God's plan. As God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden there in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God wants to do life with you today and how your life can be different and how your life can be transformed. Well, stage one and step one is to give your life to Christ. That's the very first step for you to do. And and some of you in the room, that's step one is to say, okay, I'm going to do that. Today is going to be the day. For some of you in the room, it's to take that other step of discipleship, and I'm going to become a disciple. I'm not just going to become saved. I'm going to become, you know, the kind of person God wants me to be. And, and of course, the pushback to that is, you know, I need to clean up my act first. I hear this all the time. It's a, it's a great, it's great logic. It's just not true. I need to clean up my act before I come to Christ. I need to clean up my act before I really start getting involved with the church. I need to clean up my... Do you know of anybody who's really cleaned up their act on their own? I'd like to meet them. I don't know people who clean up their act on their own. This is why you come to Christ. Christ cleans up your act. Christ comes inside of you and he transforms you from the inside out. That's the exciting part about living for Jesus today. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front right now. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm going to repeat a prayer out loud that everybody's going to say out loud with me. So even though you're a Christian, I'm going to ask the Christians in the room to say this prayer out loud with me. But but maybe today is your day. And then if you would, to come down front, if you gave your life to Christ, to, to tell somebody. Make a public profession of your faith and let them know. But I'm also going to encourage you that maybe somebody needs to pray with you over some of these landmines. Even though you are a Christian, maybe you're still so discontent every single day. Or maybe there's still a shame base that's just weighing you down or hiding or fear or you're still blaming everybody maybe you still need some special prayer and and we encourage you to do that with our prayer partners um, even this morning so right now I'm going to pray this prayer out loud I'm going to ask you all to repeat it and if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ here is your opportunity today to live for him repeat after me Lord Jesus we worship you today And I come to you today humbly and honestly confessing my sins and accepting you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins and granting me eternal life. I'm overwhelmed by your grace. I accept it and receive it. Jesus' name, amen.
So again, I I want to encourage you today. If you did that, if you said that prayer, if you gave your life to Christ, if you started that journey today, I want to encourage you to be prayed for and to be prayed over.